Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, February the 27th, 2023. It is currently 6.51 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Question. Does bad theology make you sick? Does bad theology make you sick? Now, I'm asking it as a question, but I have an article that was published today, and it was sent to me today. They make it in a more uh, of a declarative statement. Bad theology will make you sick. I'm asking, does bad, bad theology make you sick? sick. They saying it in a very uh, declarative way, bad theology will make you sick. Now, the question will be, does it make you sick? And you would be like, does it make me sick in what way? Does it make me sick to my stomach? Does it make me sick that it bothers me? Does it make me sick that other people would believe this? Or does it actually physically make me sick? Does it make me emotionally sick? Does it make me mentally sick? But does b- bad theology make you sick? I don't know exactly which direction they're going to go, but I thought I would at least ask it as a question. Again, the article that was published today, they stated in a declarative way, bad theology will make you sick. And obviously we'll have to figure out exactly what they mean by that statement. And what's interesting, the headline for the article is bad theology will make you sick. Then open parentheses, Romans 10, 9, Close parentheses. Romans 10.9 reads like this. You probably know Romans 10.9. I mean, everyone has memorized Romans 10.9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Let me read it again, Romans 10.9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. One more time. One more time. Romans 10, 9. When I first memorized Romans 10, 9, it wasn't in the King James. So sometimes when I get ready to start reading Romans 10, 9, I want to just recite it from memory, but I'm reading from the King James. So let me try to read it according to the King James. I keep wanting to change words. Because I wouldn't be going, that if thou, okay, but that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See, by the third time, it it goes a little better, doesn't it? But Romans 10, 9. Now, my immediate question is, wait a minute. What does Romans 10, 9 have to do with bad theology? That will make you sick. And does bad theology make you sick? What does that have to do with Romans 10, 9? Now, are they saying that Romans 10, 9 is, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is used sometimes to teach a false theology that will make you sick? Or what, where do they go? Where are they going? I don't know. I don't know. But are you ready to find out? I hope so. Here we go. On this Monday evening, let's try to figure out. And here's what they do. Here's how the article proceeds. Very interesting. So the, the title, Bad Theology Will Make You Sick, declarative. I've stated it as a question, but then they ask a question underneath that. They, there is a, a black and white picture. It has someone, it looks like sitting on a couch. 
It looks like he has like a blanket around his shoulders and he's got his, and he's, it looks like he has like a Kleenex in his hands and his hands kind of closed and he's got the, the back of his hand up to his forehead. Clearly he is sick. Clearly he is sick. That's, that's the image they're trying to give us. And then right kind of on the picture, it says this, what impact does bad theology have on people? What impact does bad theology have on people? So first they make a declarative statement, bad theology will make you sick. Then they show a picture of someone who's obviously sick. And then they kind of state it as a question, what impact does bad theology have on people? Now we have to, at least we got to talk about the elephant in the room. We have to, we have to. And this frustrates me about Christianity. Typically when I bring up the elephant in the room, everyone gets mad at me, but we have to at least deal with this. All right. So I'm here in the studio in West Texas and there's an elephant right over here in the corner. I know it's a very big studio or it could be a very small elephant, right? Which is, is it a large studio or is it a small elephant? Okay. I digress. I digress. But there's an elephant in the room and there, this is very important to understand. I wish all Christians sometimes would take a second to realize this, but let's make sure when you declare something bad theology, when, when you or I, when your church or my church says that's bad theology, which I understand we have to believe that the Bible teaches a theology. We have to declare it. We have to declare it in an authoritative way. We have to defend the truth. But I think there should always be at least a hesitation because there's an elephant in the room. And here's the elephant in the room. What you declare to be bad theology Someone else who's just as committed to studying the Bible as you, who's just as committed to going to church, who's just as committed to trying to live for Christ, they will say that the theology you're declaring to be bad, they will say that that bad theology that you declare to be bad, they will declare it to be good and right. And then they will look at you and you're committed to following Jesus, you're committed to studying the Bible, and they will say, no, your theology is bad. See, the the theology that we declare to be bad is someone else's good theology, and the theology that we think is good is someone else's, they declare it to be bad theology. And that's just the fact. See, in my my early Christian life, I kind of had a naive approach. My approach was, wait a minute, this is true doctrine. You have false doctrine, and all I have to do, all I have to do then is just show them scripture, right? Hey, read this scripture. Hey, just look, look at this scripture. And then you soon realize, well, wait a minute, forever scripture I give them, they give me other scriptures, or they say that I'm interpreting my scriptures wrong. And you're like, well, what? Okay, I know what I do. I, if I can have a more persuasive argument, maybe if I, maybe if I use some debate techniques to set them up and I ask leading questions to lead them into a trap, then I can say, gotcha, and I can win the debate. And if I win the debate, then obviously they'll be like, oh, 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 oh. Your theology is right, but all it really does is they just argue and you just go in circles and everyone walks away thinking they won the debate. So if you give them scripture, they just give you other scripture or they call into question your interpretation of scripture. If you try to win the debate, you walk away thinking you won. They walk away thinking they won. You don't really accomplish anything. So so what do you do? What do you do? Now, I, I believe everyone should study the Bible and we have to find truth, but just realize, especially 
considering the way it works in, in the non-Catholic world, we don't have a magisterium. We don't have the church declaring what is true or false. In the non-Catholic perspective, it's me and my Bible. Now we say, no, it's not me and my Bible. It's my Bible. It's church history. It, well, we say all of that, but we all know that we, we only listen to church history when we agree with it. And we throw out church history when we don't agree with it. And we love, we will listen to the church when we agree with it. And then we won't listen to the church when we disagree with it. So if we're going to be very honest, the elephant in the room is this, whatever, whatever doctrine you think is false, there's justice committed Christians who think it's true. And for every scripture that you think you have, they have other scriptures to say something else. And for every debate you think you went, what you've won, they think they've won. And it just goes in circle. And when it comes down to it, it really is every individual with a Bible declaring what is true and declaring what is false. And when Christians say they don't like that, no, that's not the way it works. I'm sorry, it's the way it works. Now, I, I, you say, well, what's the, uh, the, the solution? There isn't an easy solution unless we would like surrender this kind of me and my Bible mentality and surrender to the authority of a church. Where, well, then which church? Do we go back to Rome? Well, nobody wants to do that. So we're kind of left in this world that nobody wants to acknowledge. Nobody wants to admit that's how it works. But you have people like, no, 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 no. It's not just me and my Bible. It's me and the, it's the, the confessions. It's me and the creeds. It's me. Okay, well, great. I Look, I love the confessions of faith. I love the uh, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed. I love the Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession. I love church history. Don't ever question my love for church history. We teach it at my church all the time. I mean, currently, what are we doing? We're reading through Tertullian on baptism, right? But the point is, is even when we read through Tertullian on baptism, guess what we do? That's crazy. We don't agree with that. That because we'll go to church history and what agrees with us becomes authoritative and what disagrees with us, we throw out. So once again, who's the authority? We are. We say the Bible is the authority, but what we mean by that is our interpretation of the Bible. And that that's just the unpleasant reality of, of Christianity. Everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks their theology is true and they will condemn other people's theology. But the theology that you're condemning Someone else, and I want to make sure I stress this, who's just as committed to Christ as you are, who's trying to follow Christ and they study and they read and they think you're wrong. So this article wants to say, you know, you know what, what, what effect does bad theology have on people? Well, I do believe bad theology has an effect, but I'm going to be very honest and say, <laughs> it's the theology that I declare to be bad because other people would be like, man, that bad theology is really negatively impacting him because they think my theology is bad. It's, it's, it's a little maddening. I think anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time, again, when I was young, I thought I could just give people enough scripture and I could prove my point or I could just out debate them. And I would use, and I found myself using little debate techniques that I learned when I was in a you know, high school debate team. That's not the way it's supposed, just because you win a debate doesn't prove anything. Right. I mean, when you a lot of ministries love to do those debates, you know, against a Catholic or against a Mormon or against a Muslim. And Christians love that because like, ooh, my team won. Winning a debate doesn't prove anything. You know what it proves? One person had better debating skills than the other. It doesn't prove their theology is anymore, right? 
But it's amazing. Everyone who goes to, you can have between a, a reformed person and a Catholic. And the Catholics will leave the debate thinking the Catholic won. And the reformed people will leave the debate thinking the reformed person won. It really is just, it's maddening. It, it, it really is. But all right, I say all of that because we have to deal with that elephant. But now I'm going to tell the elephant to leave. Let's get back to the article. So here we go. The title of the article. Bad theology will make you sick. They make it as a declarative statement. Then they ask the question, what impact does bad theology have on people? Where is this going? Let's find out. This is, uh, how many paragraphs is this article? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So eleven paragraphs. They're relatively small. So sit back. Let's dive in. Because guess what? They're getting ready to obviously declare something to be bad theology that many of you listening are going to say, no, 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 no. That's good theology. What this article says is bad theology, which will then prove my point, right, that I've started from the beginning, right? So here we go. On a recent trip to Mexico, I took part in a class on the Book of Romans. An An older Mexican national was teaching the class. He favorably quoted John MacArthur on many occasions, saying that good fruit will automatically follow in the life of a person who is truly believed. You you will, he maintained, know a true Christian by his fruit. This is typical evangelical 101. It's taught in churches everywhere. If you become a Christian, good fruit will immediately show up and That's how you know you're a Christian. So you don't know you're a Christian by the finished work of Christ. You know that you're a good Christian or you know you're a Christian by, well, supposedly the fruit that is evidence in your life, how much fruit proves you're a Christian, how little. Well, you can go all all day on that discussion. But let's see where they take it. We've talked about that a number of times, but let's see where they take it. Once, however, he quoted from MacArthur and made a a noticeable pause. And talking about Romans 10, 9, where Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. The teacher spoke about making Jesus Lord of your life. Doing so was necessary to obtain eternal salvation. He said that MacArthur agreed. That theologian had famously said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Now, let me stop right there. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. When I was young, I preached that a thousand times over. I preached that so many times. If if the if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Is he Lord of this? Is he Lord of this? And I would, you know, preach one of those, you know, strong sermons. And then I, you know, then a little over time, I'm like, well, wait a minute. What, what would it really mean if Jesus was Lord over every area of my life? Jesus is Lord of my heart. Jesus is Lord of my mind. Jesus is Lord of my mouth. Jesus is Lord of my actions. Would I not just basically then be sinless? Because any, any, any area of sin would show that he's not Lord, that I'm Lord, and that I'm rebelling against his lordship. So is it just a generic thing to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Now I'm going to go do what I want. Jesus is Lord of my life. So, I mean, is it just something we all confess? No, he is Lord of my life in the sense of, well, he had bought me. I now belong to him by faith. 
But in a practical way, he may be Lord in the, in the sense he will have the final say. Like, what do you mean by that? But it, it's, a, it's a very popular phrase. So he goes on to say that uh, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he, he's supposedly quoting MacArthur. Um, it is, as if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. The teacher said that what MacArthur was saying is that if a person wants to be saved, he, Jesus must be Lord of everything in his life. So if you want to be saved, Jesus must become Lord of everything in your life. And if Jesus is not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. Therefore, you're not saved. Now, again, it preaches such a good sermon. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And everybody in the, in the congregation in the pew will be like, amen. Some may clap. That's so true, preacher. And then, then they get in the car and we'll show 50,000 different ways in which Jesus is obviously not Lord of all. Unless it's just the most generic phrase that really has no actual meaning. It's weird how Christians will grab on to this, but let's see where they take the article. Here is where the pause occurred. He clenched his teeth together, breathed in through them, making a kind of hissing noise. It was obvious that he had a problem with that statement. He had to think about that one. The whole class could tell he was troubled by what MacArthur had said, even though the teacher didn't say a word. He then made his feelings clear. He rubbed his stomach and said, that statement makes me sick to my stomach. It was kind of surprising. The teacher had many th- many positive things to say about Lordship Salvation and its most popular proponent. But it was clear that for him, at least on this occasion, MacArthur had bitten off more than he could chew. We then got into a discussion on the matter. So let's stop right here before we get into the discussion. Now, I love the fact that someone is teaching and all of a sudden realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do I do here? What do I-? I've been there so many times. I've been there so many times, even in the middle of a sermon, I'll be like, oh, wait, 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 this. No, no, no. We got a problem here. We got a problem. How- I've done this on podcasts. I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait. How did we get here? What just happened? But I just want you to see that if you're going to say, look, if you want to be saved, you got to make Jesus Lord of your life. Now, what they typically mean is you don't have to make him Lord before you get saved. But if you truly are saved, you will make him Lord of his li- of the life. But what does that mean if Jesus is Lord of your life? What does that look? Does that mean complete obedience? Well, no, it doesn't mean complete obedience. Well, if he's not, if I'm not completely obedient, how is he Lord? Well, I mean, he's Lord just because I declare him to be. If I just say Jesus is Lord, is that all? And they're like, no, 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 no. He's got to be Lord in a practical way. Okay, well, then in a practical way, what does it mean that he's in charge? Well, it means, well, it's not that you're going to be perfect. It just means you're going to go in a direction. How how subjective is that? Because anytime I sin, I'm not going in that direction. Well, I mean, it's, it, and then they just try to, they constantly try to explain it. And sooner or later, you're kind of like, so what are you actually saying? What are you actually saying? Are you saying that really it doesn't mean anything? What are you saying? And And, and people have a hard time really articulating what it means. They'll want to say, well, it means that you can't just believe in Jesus. There's got to be something going on in your life. There's got to be something, but they can't really quantify it. They can't really qualify it. They can't really measure it. But they'll still walk around saying, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 
Well, if that's true, and and being Lord of all means something practical, well, then I don't know who's saved. But let's see what their, their discussion, what happened in their discussion. I asked if the Lord was Lord over every area of MacArthur's life. Was there no area in which MacArthur did what he wanted to do in spite of the fact that the Lord would desire something else from him? Had he obtained complete sanctification? Was he able to do this at the very moment of faith? Now, those are good questions. Hey, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That means from the very second you believe, boom, Jesus has to be Lord of all. Well, would that not be then complete sanctification? I mean, either the words mean something or we're just playing some game. We're just playing some kind of game. And so much of what Christians do, we, 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 we say these words and these phrases and everybody says amen to it and everyone just goes along with it. And there's always those specific individuals. They're, they're always kind of the outcast of the church. And, and those individuals, those are the individuals that they could typically listen to this podcast. We're all the outcast, right? We're all the ones that everyone else rejects. We're the, we're the group of misfits. We're, we're, we're on the island of misfits. That's what we, that's what the listeners of this podcast are. We're just, we're just a bunch of misfits because I, we're the ones going, but wait, 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 wait. If that is true, well, wait, I, I know I'm a sinner. You're, and, 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 and we're the ones raising our hands going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, you're, you're claiming this, but, does, does not everyone realize we don't actually do that? Does everyone realize that that's not true in any meaningful way? Like, hey, if you become a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. We, we're the island of misfits. We raise our hand and go, wait a minute. Is that true practically? Yes. Wait. If that's true practically, then that means we, we no longer have a sinful nature because that would be the old. And if the old is completely gone, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're a new creature, but I mean, the old is still there. Well, then not everything is new. And we would, we would say, isn't it the best way to understand that is that we're a new creature positionally and everything is new and the old is gone, but practically the old is still present. We're, we're the ones who raise those kinds of questions, but you get yourself in trouble. So he, this person is asking some good questions. Is the Lord, uh, is, is, is the Lord, the Lord over every area of MacArthur's life? Well, anyone, that would be just ridiculous to say that's true. Was there no area in which MacArthur did what he wanted to do in spite of the fact that the Lord would desire something else from him? Had he obtained complete sanctification? Was he able to do that at the moment of faith? Any Lordship teacher would hedge his bets here. He would say that the new believer must be willing to make Jesus Lord of every area of his life before he can be saved. The new believer does not know yet. The, the new believer does not yet know what is required of him. So he will certainly show immaturity in this area. But once he knows what he is to do, he will submit to the Lordship of Christ. Surely he will fail at times, but he will know that Christ has the right to rule over every area. See how you have to hedge your bet? And now you have to kind of back up and go, well, well, he'll want to do it. And then start making all of these kind of excuses. But listen, but do such concessions or toning down of the requirement of the statement make it any easier to accept? 
not to the teacher in the class. His uneasiness over MacArthur's statement was most clearly seen in his admission that the Lord was not Lord over area of, over every area of his life. He was a man in his late 60s and had been a Christian for a long time. He then asked if any student in the class would claim that Jesus was Lord over every area of their life. All of them admitted that he was not. I'm willing to admit that he's not Lord over every area of my life in a practical practical sense. In a positional sense, he is Lord, right? In a positional sense, he is Lord. And and the the position of he bought me with a, a price. He is Lord there. He is Lord. He is my savior. He is my creator. So there is a sense that he is Lord, but in a practical like when you typically when Lordship talks about this, they're talking about it in a very practical way. Well, is he Lord of every area of your life? Well, if you say if he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all, well, then he's, then you're not saved. So then you have to go, well, I mean, it doesn't mean, it, it, well, no, you, it either means something or it doesn't. The reason he said MacArthur's theology here made him sick to his stomach was because if lordship salvation were true, then he was not going to be in the kingdom. The same was true of all the students in the class. Even though he wasn't literally sick, it was a good figure of speech. If one dwelt on MacArthur's words, the fear and anxiety they cause would be enough to make a person sick. If one was spiritually sensitive and took the word at face value, it would drive them crazy. And that's true. That's what happens. See, if you really take it to at its face value, you would literally go mad. You'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I keep committing sin here. This is sin. This is sin. This is sin. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. Well, he can't be Lord of all. Well, then he's not Lord at all. But no, no, no. It, it would be this very subjective, almost never-ending mental breakdown if you care at all. But everyone talks the big game, but don't really take it into consideration. Some people often speak of the discipline of God. God disciplines his children when they stray from the truth or live immorally. Such discipline can take on many different forms. One such form is literal physical sickness. God can bring that into our lives to get us to repent when needed. In a figurative way, the teacher was demonstrating this reality. Bad theology, such as lordship salvation, will make you sick. A person can believe in Jesus for eternal life, then fall prey to such teaching. It won't be good for their spiritual or physical health. The same is true for unbelievers who are enslaved to such teaching. As long as they hold to it, they will not be able to understand the message of God's grace and the offer of eternal life as a free gift. Such grace does not demand the impossible task of committing one's entire life to the Lordship of Christ. The quote from MacArthur is indeed sickening. I don't know the spiritual condition of that teacher. He said he felt sick because of the venomous words he heard. Whether or not he ever believed in Jesus for eternal life, I hope that he went to the great physician to find the cure for what was ailing him. He would prescribe what is needed. Uh, His words are the cure. He who believes in me has eternal life. The only hope for this kind of teaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Every demand, and the Bible is full of demands saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, you're not going to be saved or you're not saved. And all of those demands are real demands. They are, they are, they are, and we classify them in theology as law and nobody keeps the law. And you know what I'm getting ready to say? Personally, perfectly, exactly, entirely, and perpetually. We do not. Therefore, we're always in a perpetual state of guilt. Our hope is so, therefore, we would never truly, Christ would never truly be Lord. Our only hope is in the Lord himself, who did obey all of these demands perfectly. And in Christ, I pass every test. I pass every demand of the law because Christ has done it for me. And my hope of salvation is in Christ. And so whatever you say, if you're truly a Christian, you will love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Christ did love the Father with all his heart, mind, body, and soul. If you truly are a Christian, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Christ did love the neighbor for himself. If, if, if you truly are a Christian, you will live your life for God's glory. Christ did glorify the Father. I can go through every demand. Christ fulfilled them for me. That will take away my sickness. That will take away my guilt. That will take my away my anxiety. That will take away my fear. That's our only hope. It's an interesting email. It does kind of fit with our discussion on law and gospel. Kind of fits with other things. But I, I, I again, I, I received the email. What time did I receive the email? And the email was a link to the article. What time did I receive this? Let me see here. Just so that you know, I received this email at 1.01 p.m. today. 1.01 p.m. today. And it was just a link to the article. Nobody asked any questions. Either they were sending it to me because they disagree with this or they were sending to the, I don't, I don't know. I, I never know sometimes with the emails, what people want from me, but I do my best to try to respond. And I haven't forgotten someone wants me to review a sermon and I will try to do that. Maybe we'll try that tonight. We'll see. We'll see. We need to work on some John four stuff as well. But I thought it would, I, you know, you would just think about that, that, and I guess the thing to think about, I, I'll just end with this, a couple of things to think about. Number one, I want you just to, to never forget, just realize the, the theology you declare to be bad, other people think it's good, and they think your theology is bad. And that's just a difficult reality. And they're just as committed to Bible study and the scriptures as you are. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that the, the reason we have differences in theology is because other people don't read and other people don't study, and all they have to do is just read and study, and they will immediately change their mind. But it doesn't work that way. So we still need to figure out what we believe the truth to be. We still need to declare it in an authoritative way. We still need to be de make declarative statements. But we just always need to remember, well, wait a minute. Other people think in a different way and at least be willing to hear and understand those perspectives. I think, I think that's very important, right? I, I think we have to consider that. Um, and, 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 hope, and I hope you will, you, will, you will give that serious thought. And I guess the second thing I want us to consider is that there are times in the Christian life that there's these popular sayings, these popular phrases that kind of emerge that everyone just embraces. Like, if Jesus, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. It preaches good and everyone just says it, but no one ever really stops to think, what does that actually mean of taking to a logical conclusion? 
So sometimes be careful about cool little phrases that is you heard in a sermon or in a Christian podcast. Really think about what is that saying and is it in, is it in accordance with the scriptures? And number three. So number one, we need to uh, we need to acknowledge the conflict over different doctrine and different theology and how we may think we're right, but other people think they're right. Number two, we need to be aware of these little phrases that we just take as almost they came from the throne room of heaven where they're really just manufactured phrases given by preachers that people gravitate to, and then they just keep repeating them. And in, in many cases, they're actually fraudulent, theologically speaking. So I want you to grab onto those two things. And I think number three, I was going to go a couple of different directions with number three. I, I think, um, which one do I, which direction do I want to go to with number three? I think with number three, I do want to, I think what we do need to do is I think all Christians need to be much more open and truly honest with how much sin is in their life. I wish we could become more sensitive to how sinful we are because I think a lot of these theologies where people are like, no, this will happen or this will happen. And I think if they would just stop worrying and arguing about what should or shouldn't be there, they would just be more open and honest with what's actually going on in their own lives because I think it would humble and break us. I think, I think too many Christians, we try to pretend that we're more godly than we are. And I think if we were really open with what's really going on in our heart, mind, body, and soul, we would be shocked and it would probably break us and lead us to maybe embracing a correct gospel, which is a gospel from an imputed righteousness and not an infused righteousness. You can give me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.